This Advisor Success Series podcast is brought to you by Astron Life. Get more out of Astron Life. More opportunity and value for both you and your clients. We speak this week with Melbourne advisor and business owner, Michelle Tate-Lovery. A critical component in Michelle's success has been the quality of the staff she's recruited to join her on what seems in a number of ways to have been a shared journey. Listen in as Michelle explains how she's sought to make a difference in people's lives in a structured way and how the buy-in from her staff relates to a common vision as they all seek to have an impact on their clients' lives. We're joined today by Unified Financial Services Principal Michelle Tate-Lovery. Hello Michelle, nice to talk to you today. Hi Peter, on this cold winter morning in Melbourne. That's right. Pity we're not in Queensland. I oh, know. Can't wait. I'm in Singapore tomorrow, so I'm looking forward to it. Okay, that immediately dates this conversation, but we'll overlook that and move <laughs> on. Michelle, can you give us a brief description about uh, Unified Financial Services, how it evolved uh, and the nature of your client base? As we were talking earlier, um, I'm coming up to nearly 30 years in the industry, proud as punch, and um, it's been a fantastic um, journey for me. But when I started, uh, I had no idea what I was embarking on. I actually thought I was going to be a teacher. I um, fell into the industry, rather the um, industry, financial planning, the profession chose me. And um, I carved out um, very shortly after entering the industry, my own trajectory um, in the financial planning space. Okay, now did you start off uh, in developing your own business or were you working with another organisation yeah. when you first came in? So um, I sort of feel the first few years of any um, uh, career path is very much a technician's role. And back then um, it was very much learning on the job. There were no formal education programs. So I was very fortunate to be with a, a company that purported to be uh, the first and largest um, financial planning organisation in Australia. And I was trained on the job and, um, you know, it was very, very daunting. Um, to me, it seemed like it was another language. I'd uh, done an arts honours degree um, and I could not understand the jargon um, my fellow um, colleagues were talking about. So I basically just tried to absorb as much as I could and learn from the people around me. Um, but very, you know, soon into it, I realised that it was a um, very sanctified um, path I had chosen. It was a very serious path. It was about um, making real difference in people's lives. And I wanted to do it in a structured way, in a um, professional way. And I realised very quickly that um, I needed to develop a market. Um, a group of people to talk to. Okay, so can you tell us a little bit about that, how, how your client base evolved? Yeah, so rather than just random um, individuals, um, I uh, moved out of the organisation that recruited me and uh, found an organisation that introduced me to a market base, which is what I thought back then I exactly needed. And um, it was in the health world, 
in, and specifically it was allied health professionals. So they are represented by medical scientists, psychologists, pharmacists, audiologists, dietitians, and radiographers primarily. Okay. And um, I worked with a union, a white collar union uh, in the industrial world. So not only new to financial planning, but very new to industrial relations. And what it enabled me to do was to focus on a market base of about 2,000 people. I was able to go into the workplace and uh, organise financial literacy programs. So I tried to unpack what this group of people, um, the, the issues and the concerns this, this group of people were experiencing around money. And it went down to very basic things like interpreting their pay slips, interpreting their superannuation statements, talking about salary packaging. So I chunked every aspect of money and financial um, literacy down to be able to educate people in the first instance. And after a while, um, clients were actually coming to seminars and paying a nominal fee to a charity to basically attend these seminars. So that's probably the first time I started charging for um, seminars and financial advice. And I'm going back, Peter, maybe 25 years ago. Okay, that's amazing. So uh, you were kind of at the vanguard, I guess, of charging uh, effectively fees for um, financial services, financial yeah, advice. Yeah, very much so. And, and right at the beginning, um, I did start my own business um, very early on because I couldn't find a home. I couldn't find anyone who who practiced financial planning the way I felt it should be practiced. And it was very much about a long-term game plan. It was very much about being with a client for their life and whatever that life looked like, all the different stages, as we know, that people go through. I, I felt a huge responsibility and commitment to stay with a client throughout all their um, seasons of life. And, um, and, and then I realised with every life change, there was a financial consequence or a financial decision that needed to be made. And so um, I wanted to take my time and I, at the same time I needed to put food on my table. So I charged for my time and charged for the advice and service. And back then, so I'm going back into the early 90s now, um, well before ACTU Financial Services and before um, financial planning was really known in the marketplace, um, the greatest thing was the group of people that I worked with understood that I needed to charge for what I was doing and were happy to pay for the value that they received. All right, well, there are some, some lessons there and a couple of things occur to me in um, having this conversation with you. Firstly, uh, it seems one of the sliding door moments in your career progression was your ability or capacity to link up with the White Collar Union to give you access to this client base in the first place. So I'm interested to find out how you did that. And secondly, it's not necessarily an easy thing to decide that you want to leave uh, one advice business and start your own. So for all the advisors uh, listening to today's conversation, mm. how hard was it or how mm. easy was it for you to actually establish your own business? Well, there was no alternative for me. 
because I wanted to charge for advice. I wanted to practice advice in a holistic um, way. Um, I, I had a very clear vision of what my model of advice was going to be and the type of people that I wanted to see. And I just could not find that support around me. So it was a very clear decision. It was very scary at the same time. Um, and so, you know, fairly new to the industry, new to running a business and what that brought, and then new to holding a license. Um, oh, gee, Peter, if I go back, um, yeah, maybe now it's sounding a bit crazy, but uh, I really didn't feel there was a way forward and I wanted to give it a go and I had the support of my clients, um, of the union at the time, of the heads of the union, um, and uh, I think the most exciting thing about having um, my own license at that very early stage, as I said before, was that I didn't have Big Brother to um, looking down at me. I was able to, um, in a compliant way, uh, undertake the advice that I needed to structure my business and um, took it seriously. Uh, it was a long-term plan. Um, I invested, made sure that I had um, enough investment in the business um, and very early on, I engaged uh, the help of consultants and coaches uh, to assist my, um, my progression and to sort of shake off any sort of fear factor um, that might have been looming, um, looming around. <laughs> okay, it sounds like um, there's, a, there's a, often a, a very a common characteristic with successful advisors and advice businesses in securing their own mentoring, their, their, their own coaches to help them in their business. But nonetheless, it seems like it was a reasonably gutsy move that you made back in the 90s. Uh, you needed to be a little bit brave to do what you did, but presumably Definitely. you're reaping the benefits in terms of the business that you've built today. Yeah, yeah. Look, running a business, running a, um, a, a license, a self-licensed operation, um, you will always live with um, change and compliance and you know HR and supervision of staff and and it you know you find you're wearing multiple hats um, all the time and I think you just get you get more proficient sorry you become more proficient when when to change the hats um, you know at the beginning it's all a bit of a jumble and you're trying to work through it but you just through practice um, through dedication through having that vision of just being better and providing, you know, a fantastic advice experience to clients. I mean, at the end of the day, I was driven by the clients to give them a, a better chance of um, having the life that they put out there that they wanted. Okay, so what we're talking about uh, with Unified Financial Services, Michelle, is a self-licensed boutique firm that specialises in the allied healthcare professional uh, client market. Spot on. As a uh, boutique firm that's responsible for its own compliance, what's your message out there to advisors who would perhaps like to start their own firm but are worried about the cost of compliance and in fact the bottom line of the business? Well, you've got to weigh it up. It's not, it's not for everyone. And um, when I started, once again, I didn't have um, uh, a home. I found that 
my model was quite foreign to what was being practiced out there. Um, so I think these days, um, fee for advice, value of advice, um, uh, goals-based advice, um, compliance, we've moved so far over the last 25, 30 years that I'm sure that um, uh, if an advisor is clear about how they wish to practice, um, very clear on what they're not going to negotiate, if they then go out and can find a home, I would certainly be backing that because it is definitely a lot harder running your own operation and it does come at a short-term cost but it's for a long-term gain. So it depends on the advisor's view on their career path. For me, it was always gonna be a long-term proposition. Um, I always, at, um, very early on when I was very young, knew I was gonna be in this industry for 30 plus years. It was never really any doubt because I, once again, had embarked on a journey with my clientele and I wanted to make sure that what I was saying was going to deliver to my clients. And hand on heart, I can say that all those people that I've come across um, and um, had relationships with over these 30 years, um, you know, some clients, some not, but they still have followed advice and they have still checked in and talk to me about how successful their lives have been. And I just about that, I define success as, you know, happy and fulfilled and living their ideal life. And, you know, to a point now we're seeing our clients' children. So pretty scary when you see, you know, um, 30 year olds walking in and you're going, goodness gracious, I knew you, I know your mum and dad, goodness gracious. Well, there's a lot in that. Firstly, I guess uh, going back to the earlier part of um, that response that you just gave then, Michelle, um, effectively what you're saying is that perhaps uh, running your own and owning your own advice business may not be for yeah, every advisor, but the important thing is the journey they want to take with their clients. Uh, and that may not necessarily be an environment which requires them to start their own business. It has to enhance the client experience or else why would you do it? Okay, yeah. and the other thing that you mentioned was how you define success for the client uh, in terms of health and happiness mm. and uh, I guess a forward positive approach to the future. Mm. How do you define success for an advice business, for your advice business? Well, when I look back and I've, I, I look at my clients and what they've achieved and I look at the staff that I have and the people that have been through my business who've gone on to build very successful businesses. Um, and I stand back and, and look at my own career. I feel like it has been clear and consistent and transparent throughout the full 30 years. Um, I feel like if a client is going to follow what I am saying, if a client is going to be led by me, I've got to make sure that I have a viable, thriving, um, future-proofed business because I'm here for the clients and the client's family for the long term. It may not physically be me um, if I'm not able to into the future, but certainly my legacy is my business. Um, and what Unified Financial Services stands for in the marketplace is 
um, is around financial freedom and is around leadership and confidence and progression and all the things that any person would want to be a part of. Okay, and um, in terms of the, the elements of your business, the ingredients that go towards making up Unified Financial Services, you've mentioned staff a few times, and that's actually been a, um, a reasonably common factor in the conversations we've been having in this series. Can you tell me about the relative value or importance of staff in terms of the growth of the business, the success of the business over a period of time? Yeah. Um, I've been fortunate to be mentored and coached, so I've used that philosophy and approach internally. And um, we've always tried to deliver advice as a team, even though I'm the principal advisor, the supervisor, the founder, um, the person that you might see in the marketplace uh, more. The bottom line is, my if I wasn't backed by such outstanding people, that I've groomed over the years to be at the forefront with my clients, then it would all fall fall down. Um, so I'm very proud to say that you know there's a core group of staff that have been with me for nearly 17 years, 18 years I think next year, um, and it's been amazing to watch these people develop and grow and have successful lives and um, help clients journey. Um, into having successful lives. Um, it's about camaraderie, it's about having a common vision, being aligned culturally okay. to you know what we stand for. And right. we have very robust discussions. Um, I love hearing about alternative ideas and opinions and ways that we can improve. The best ideas come from the people that you're surrounded by. We have very comprehensive planning days um, with our team. Uh, we have bring facilitators in, um, always looking for feedback from uh, the team. Okay. Do you think you were just lucky 17 years ago or thereabouts with the long-term staff that you've worked with over the years or was there something that has encouraged them to stick with your firm over such a long period of time? It's ultimately um, what we do with our clients and how clients feel about us and I think everyone wants to buy into that vibe, be in that zone because they can see um, how each and every one um, of the team are making an impact on a client's life. So it's a very powerful thing. And um, I couldn't think of anything um, more uncomfortable than not being aligned to a group of people or to a cause. Um, you know, I, right. it, it's like glue. It, it's like having a, a family, a second family. Uh, and it is about um, helping people be the best they can be um, and that's, I think that's what financial planning is too. It's all about the potential, the hope, the, the, the belief in what is truly possible in, in life. What happens with a client certainly should be happening with the people that you work with every day, should be happening in your family, should be happening in, in, a, in, a, in an industry sense. 
Um, and I think everyone wants to to have to be part of that that wonderful vibe. Okay, so you've obviously and and in um, coming to the, the end of our conversation, you've obviously built a business and built a proposition uh, where both your staff and your clients have come on the journey with you. But as you reflect on your journey, and it's a question which I've previously admitted to enjoying asking, whether or not there might have been some things that you did earlier on that you regret or things you would do differently if you had your time again, Michelle. And out of all the questions, that's probably the hardest one. Um, so I think two parts to the answer. The first part is it's my fundamental belief that everyone is where they are in life because they were meant to be there. I think you can't take away from a journey and all the mistakes you make because you learn so much along the way. Right. Um, so would I change anything? No, because I'm very happy where I'm at in life at the moment and, and what I've been able to achieve with my clients, my staff and at an industry level. Um, but if I had to uh, think about some of the core things that would have made more of a difference probably more quickly for the advisors that are listening to this podcast, I think to really do some work on yourself and understand who you are, what your purpose is, and how you can make change in the world. Understand your values and what you're not gonna compromise very early on. If you're feeling uncomfortable about an organization that you're in that um, you, know, it, it, um, you should not be in it, you should find your home Right, um, right. Find your direction, find your passion early on and follow that. Purpose, passion, um, kindred souls, spirits, um, and, um, and it comes down to the clients as well. I mean, we attract people that are like us, I suppose. How, how you wish to work, how you, your philosophy of advice, you attract people who, who get that vibe as well. Um, and when you have your team of people um, working with you, I think it was a very um, good step and I probably did it too. Um, I could have done it sooner. I enlisted a HR manager to come in as a consultant and I helped um, my practice manager at the time work through a HR manual to give my practice manager confidence around all the things that people bring to the equation. And what it did then was it it gave me um, an avenue to have a process and a structure, uh, a go-to document to refer to things. For example, if um, um, a staff wanted to go into training, what was the policy on that? So we refer back to the manual, like you have a compliance manual, I suppose. And the other type of manual that we put into place, um, once again, I could have done this a lot sooner, but was going on my journey of working out um, you know, uh, the type of business that I, I actually truly wanted to develop um, was an advice philosophy manual. So when advisors that you are grooming, that you are, um, you are supervising to lead your clientele, when you are grooming advisors, it's very important to have everyone on the same page. So once again, we chunk down every aspect of our business and when it comes to advice, 
we chunk down every aspect of advice and we have a manual around how we do things at UFS. So how right. do we give salary packaging advice? How do we give cash flow advice, etc.? So um, lots of processes and systems have been put into place and that's been fantastic as a go-to for everyone. Well, um, there are some fantastic tips and um, great messages there to finish up with. But for the time being, Michelle Tate-Lovery, Principal and Founder of Unified Financial Services, thank you so much for your time. This Advisor Success Series podcast was brought to you by Astron Life. Contact your Astron Life BDM on 1800 739 641 to find out how both you and your clients can get more out of Astron Life.